Uh, God, we do believe in, in this, the song we were just singing where we said we're, we're here for you. Um, that line just struck me as we were singing it because we are here. In a sense, we feel like we're here for us, we're here for one another, but it's almost as if we're here for you like we're showing up for duty. Uh, we're showing up because we want you to tell us um, tell us things. We want you to talk to us. We want you to tell us what to do, ways in which you want us to want to challenge us, stretch us, ways in which you want us to grow, ways in which you want us to uh, find the joy that you have for us, things you want us to stop doing, things you want us to start doing, all kinds of things, God, but we're here for you. And uh, so give us ears to hear what you, through your Holy Spirit, says to us, and give us eyes to see what you want to show us. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> I, have a, I have a, Kathy and I, are, 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 we have a, about an acre lawn. Most of it we mow with the riding mower. We, me, okay? My kids help. They do help. But we do have a push mower, a self-propelled, self-propelled push mower that we have to mow the parts of the lawn. They're like, you know, we have a lot of tilts and hills in our lawn. And uh, lately, the self-propelled part hasn't been working very well. So, uh, and it's heavy, and so my kids don't like mowing with it, my wife doesn't like mowing with it, I really don't like mowing with it, but somebody has to do it, but I feel like I'm just fine. So I brought it in, and then, and then to top things off, uh, I was trying to start it one day and it wouldn't start. So I had you know, no power, it wasn't working, and when you have a mower that's working with no self-propelled, it's a hassle anyway, but when it's not working, you can't, you can't do anything. I bring it in, leave it there for about two weeks, they say it's done, you kind of know where I'm going with this. I bring it home. Of course, it starts up, had a little power, and they told me they weren't sure if they fixed the self-propelled anyway because they couldn't figure out if it was a transmission issue. So sure enough, I hit the self-propelled, and, it, and it, I have to kind of push it along. So it doesn't really do it. It's, so I'm still working at it. Then, within about 30 seconds, it stopped running. It wasn't, and I couldn't get it started again. And I thought, okay, I paid. They wanted 270. I talked them down to 150. I paid 150 to fix something that wasn't fixed. So I brought it back. Brought it back. The guy said, oh, here's the problem. Click, 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 click. He started it, ran, it ran. Of course it runs there. I bring it home. It starts up. Yes. 30 seconds later, bub, 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 bub. It's like, okay, this is frustrating for me because there's no power. I can't mow what I want to mow. Try it again, it mows, and then my, now, now when it's on, I, I start trying to go really fast. But there's no self-propelled, so I'm still pushing up these hills, and I'm just like, I mean, I, I'm not a young man anymore, so my back and my knees were hurting me, and I was like, I hate this, and then blah, 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 it stops. Bring it back again. The guy, oh, I, this is the problem. Bring it back home again, you, same thing happened over and over. And I just thought, so I finally brought it back there, and I just realized this morning they haven't called me for like a week and a half, so I don't know if they threw it away. I don't know what they did with it. <laughs> But it was kind of that frustration because, you know, when I, even when I do, I have been mowing, and it's like I've tried to mow sideways. And, it, and I wonder if any of you, because the analogy I felt like, what, I wonder if any of you feel like sometimes your spiritual life is that way. I, I think this is supposed to make it work now, and I thought the Christian life should be a little more self-propelled. Like, why am I sweating? Why am I, why does it... And, I can't get that, and then I'm gonna, the mower falls over toward the creek, and I'm just like, and then I, oh, now, I, now I, I found the fix. God showed me the fix. And then I, it, it starts up again, and, then, and it seems like sometimes, if you can relate at all, 
to times in my story, it seems like I'm pushing a mower that's meant to be self-propelled, but that's not working, and sometimes the mower just stops, and then I think, what am I missing? Am I doing something wrong? Because there doesn't seem to be power in what I'm doing. Because when, I, when you read the Bible, when you read what happens in the New Testament church, when you read what happens in the lives of people, when you look at the history of people throughout the church, you think they seem, there seemed to be something that we are not at yet. And I'm not saying that in a way of being uh, self-condemning, but it's just there's always more. There's always more. And what does it mean? How, you know, sometimes we get kind of satisfied with not having it, not having the power that God meant for us to have, or the kind of fullness of joy, and then we settle. Um, what do we do? So here, one of the things we've been doing this series, I've been in this series called Jesus in Focus, trying to think, think and look, what is it that Jesus really said? I mean, I'm saying really said because sometimes I think we kind of, somehow Jesus gets kind of meshed through a hallmark grid, and then Jesus becomes this poet who just tells us how to be nice people. And we don't really wrestle with what does he say, what's he saying, and what kind of reaction do you get from people. So Jesus in focus, what we did for a number of weeks, go to the next slide, interviewed a number of different people from different world religions. Uh, and actually toward the end of the month, I'll finally be able to interview the, one of the leaders from the local Muslim mosque. But the whole point of that was to help people re- kind, of, kind of start realizing there's some difference between what we understand the spiritual life to be and what others understand it to be. And I'll hit on one of those differences today, but it was, it's interesting to kind of wrestle with, is Jesus, is he unique? And is what we're doing unique or is it just an American cultural phenomena? The conclusion is, I think it's really unique because when you read about Jesus. So we did that. And then, so go to the next one. Talk about the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I call it the amazing teaching of Jesus because the people were amazed when he was done. It says they were amazed because he taught like one who had oomph, authority. Not like the teachers of the law. Not like what they're used to. He was teaching not like authority, like he wasn't like loud and banging drums. But he taught in such a way where the people's response was, he's saying something we've never heard before. We never heard we could have the kind of life we've always wanted with God. And so they were amazed because they've been taught their whole life, you can't be religious. You're not smart enough. You don't know the Bible well enough. You didn't go to seminary, whatever. All the reasons we all think we can't actually have the kind of life Jesus promised because we just think we're too ordinary. They were the same way. So they're amazed at Jesus' teaching. So I want to... I wanna, there's two verbs I want to talk about that Jesus uses. And today being Pentecost Sunday, we don't usually kind of follow church calendar, but this Sunday I really felt a sense that I wanted to. But here's the first verb that Jesus uses as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to talk about this word a little bit because the word repent gets a bad rap. Because when you th- hear the word repent, if you're like me, uh, you think of that billboard. I think it's on the way to Indianapolis on 37. Um, repent, avoid hell. Trust Jesus, whatever it says. Have you ever seen that billboard or billboards like that? Or you think of the people that stand on certain places of campus, you know, repent. And it's usually said with uh, anger. Repent! You know, and repent has kind of that, Ugh. But when Jesus said it, and this is, this is the one-line sermon of Jesus. If somebody wants to know this, all the sermons of Jesus, put them in a file, you could have one big folder that just says this. Because over and over... His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now the word repent 
literally means a change of thinking. It doesn't have implied in it a condemning tone. Now, we've given it that, or we think that's what it is, because that's how it's been received. Um, if you just, I mean, you just, you just Google, which I did this week, just Google repent in, in Google Images, and you've got all kinds of goofy people in the pictures with signs, uh, repent or burn, turn or burn. Rep- I mean, it's just kind of like that's what comes up. Not that Google is the definition of all things American, but it kind of is. All right. But you get that, and it's like, so, but when Jesus was saying what he was telling these people, like you and me, ordinary people, he was saying, change the way you're thinking about how to achieve the life you've always wanted. Because the average Jewish person understood the kingdom of heaven to mean it's the life I've always wanted. It's the life that when God's in control, it's the way life ought to be. Where peace and joy and goodness and forgiveness are in abundance. So when Jesus is saying this, that's what began to get the people's amazing meters clicking on. They're like, wait a minute, minute. he's saying we can have that kind of fullness of joy, fullness of forgiveness, fullness of goodness kind of life. But he says we have to change the way we're thinking. Typically, when we hear the word repent, we think it simply means stop being bad. Stop that. Stop that, stop that. But Jesus, repent is stop the way you're thinking because it's not leading you in the right direction. So here's some examples that we could say repent. This is from the first part from Matthew 5. Repent of living with anger and contempt in your life. Repent of living with overt or secret sexual sin and repent of justifying your habits by thinking that God is holding out on you. Repent of the sin of image management. Always nuancing your words to make yourself look better in the eyes of others. Just simply let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Repent of of rejoicing when bad things happen to those who have wounded you. Or wishing that it would. Let me read that one again. Repent of rejoicing when bad things happen to those who have wounded you. Or wishing that it would. Repent of thinking that if others understood what that person did to you, they would surely understand why you're not quite sure if you could ever forgive them. Those are from the parts we've already looked at in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's some other ones I just put together. Repent of living as if it matters what people think about you. Repent of of living as if the outcomes of your life are on your shoulders and if you are in control of your future. Repent of living as if getting older is something to worry about. Repent of living as if satisfying your appetites are central to your well-being and a wise strategy for living. Repent of living as if you need just a little bit more money. Repent of living a hurried, busy lifestyle while still thinking you can build meaningful relationships with Jesus or with others. So when Jesus is saying repent, that's the kind of things he's trying to hit at. And I'm guessing at least one or many uh, more of those hit you because they hit me. So don't just think stop these bad behaviors. He's saying repent of the way you're thinking about how you're going to get the life you've always wanted. So he says that over and over, and that's what the people are getting. That's what he's trying to tell them in the Sermon on the Mount. You can have this kind of life if you just stop thinking that life works that way, because it doesn't work that way. It's a life devoid of trusting God. 
So that's the word repent. So that's like step one. If, you're gonna, if we're going to train ourselves to be followers of Jesus and living in the life we've always wanted, we have to understand that. And repentance is not a one-time event. It's, a, it's an ongoing reality. We're always being aware of what God's uh, challenges with. Years ago, the Christians in Romania were mockingly called by, their, by the non-Christians the repenters. Because they're like they, they knew that was part of their whole mindset was we will always look for ways that God's trying to challenge our thinking about how we get how do we have the good life. Now here's the other word, the other word. Receive. And it's interesting, so the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the first word out of his mouth is repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. All the gospels, all the teaching, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus dies, he's resurrected. This is almost, this is one of the last things he said to the disciples. So he starts off with repent. And then the Sunday night, the day of his resurrection, the disciples are gathered in a room. They're scared to death. They're not sure what's happened. And it says Jesus showed up and he says, peace, peace be to you. And then he says, and it says he breathed on them. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if he went, I don't know if he blew I don't know what he did. I mean, you see people on TV that they breathe on people like they're doing some kind of spiritual activity. Maybe think of the pacer who blew in LeBron James' ear, but I'm sure that's not what Jesus did. But anyway, but he said he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now think about the word receive for a second. Receive is something you can't do unless something else, someone else initiates it. A wide receiver in football doesn't do anything unless something else is initiated that he has a chance to receive. You don't receive a phone call unless someone else on the other end initiated it. So the nature of receiving is it's an activity you do that's initiated by another. You can't make it happen yourself, but you're a participant in making it happen. One of the, one of the phrases I'll use for that is it's, it's a sense of active passivity. And here's the example. Alan Meyer back here is an endodontist. He does root canals. Nobody ever wants to see Alan, all right? Okay, if I have something wrong with my tooth that I sense maybe a root canal kind of issue, I could do one of a few things. One is I could just hope it goes away, which is my typical way of handling medical or auto problems, hope it goes away, um, which is the incredible passive option, right? Passive. I could be ridiculously active and try to figure out what I can do myself, jarring around there, I don't know, pliers, whatever they, whatever people, whatever people like Alan use in your teeth. That also would give me an undesired end, right? The passive option is bad. The active option is bad. But what if you do both? For example, I realize, okay, I need to call Alan. So I pick up the phone. I call his office. I'm being active. The day of the appointment, I get in my car, I drive to his office. I'm being active. I go into the office, his, his uh, receptionist greets me. I say, I'm here for an appointment with Dr. Meyer, I'm being active. I say, it's time to go back there. I go back into Alan's office or in his, one of his chair rooms, one of his torture chambers or whatever, and I'm being active. And Alan says, well, sit down right here in this chair. I'm being active. All right, and now I'm being active, active, active. I sit down in the chair. I'm active. Alan says, could you open your mouth? I'm active. From that moment on, I'm passive. I've actively put myself in a situation where my passivity will lead to my healing. 
Because at that point, if I start wrestling with Alan's hands, no, 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 which maybe people have done that, I don't know. <laughs> at that point, I won't get better. He'll quit. He'll kick me out of the office. I'll go home with gangrene or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? So spiritual life is we do active things to put ourselves in situations where we can passively receive what God wants to give us. And if I don't do those active things, Alan won't make a house call. So when we, when we encourage people to read their Bible or to pray or to sing, worship together, or to pray with others, it's not because we're earning behavior points from God. It's because we're putting ourselves in a situation actively where we can hear from and receive from God. So we receive. Receiving is an actively passive kind of act. Now, this isn't the only time Jesus talked about receiving. All right, Matthew chapter 7. He says, keep on asking and you will receive. Right? And, the, and the context here, and showing up in other Gospels, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, more from the Holy Spirit. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom like a child will never enter it. So even receiving the kingdom of heaven is really receiving the power from the kingdom of heaven, which we call the Holy Spirit. If you don't receive it like a child receives something, child usually receives something without asking a whole lot of questions. They're just glad to get something. We analyze it and turn it upside down, and then we don't even receive it. Then Jesus in John chapter 14 talks about the Holy Spirit, and he says the world cannot receive him because they aren't looking for him. But you know him because he lives in you. So it's possible not to receive something from God because you're not looking for it. And then one of the very last things Jesus said to his disciples after he told them to receive the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, before his ascension, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my... And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem. This isn't in my notes, so... Um, but one of the last things he said was receive, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit you don't have to waste the rest of your life pulling that cord on the lawnmower <laughs> it won't start, it won't start he said no you can receive power and then what we ask is well how? how do I do that? because if you're like me there's times in your life you're really wearied from that lawnmower pull and pushing it 10 feet and then it stops you're like okay I've tried that work, it didn't work and he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, what's interesting then, Acts chapter 2, which is when Pentecost is described. Now, Pentecost, if you don't know, Pentecost was the festival every Jewish person celebrated from the book, from the Pentateuch, from way back in the book of Leviticus. Uh, it was uh, 50 days past Passover, and it was a celebration of the harvest. So it was a celebration of gratitude to God for the harvest Every year, Jewish people celebrated that. So the disciples, as they were Jews, since even after Jesus' death, which happened, and resurrection, which happened on Passover weekend, Pentecost, 50 days later, so we're seven weeks past Easter, so that's what we call today, Pentecost Sunday. Penta, five, 50, 50 days after Easter. So it's Pentecost Sunday, or whatever day of the week it was, maybe it was Sunday, and they're in an upper room, and it just says they're waiting because Jesus told them, wait. 
Now, again, they're waiting in a very actively passive kind of way. They weren't just lounging around saying, I'm going to go back to work until Jesus does something. They were expecting. So I think to some degree receiving uh, means expecting. I mean, a wide receiver is not going to catch a pass if he's not expecting it. You're not going rec- to answer a phone. I mean, you, can't, you have to expect something to receive something. So maybe sometimes some of our issue is we don't expect the Holy Spirit to do something. We don't expect God to do something. And if we don't expect, we don't recognize it, then we don't receive it. And we miss something because we've stopped expecting. Because, again, if your story has any similarities to parts of my story, you stop, you stop expecting sometimes because you get discouraged. And you, get, you say, well, I've, I've already been there and done that. I've, I've expected before. I've had desire before. And I'm tired of getting my desires um, disappointed. But it seems like the story of men and women faithful in the Bible were ones who kept going anyway because they trusted what God said he would do. So Acts chapter 2, let me just, go, I'll just read part of the Pentecost story. I suppose at least on Pentecost we ought to read uh, at least part of the story of Pentecost. So let me just read what happens in terms of the receiving they did. And then I'll make some conclusions toward the end. This is Acts chapter 2, verse, starting with verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And every time I see any kind of film, visual representation of somebody trying to capture that, I don't think any of them are even close to adequate. Who knows what that would have been like to be a part of, and even just to see what was going on when heaven was literally bursting forth to the earth. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. At this time, there are devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. So again, they were, it was Pentecost weekend, so they were all there and things were happening. They came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Because again, those coming from Pentecost would have come from other countries. So they're like, wait, well, they're hearing people, they're hearing some of these Galileans speak our language. What's up with that? They knew something was up. They were completely amazed. There's that word again, amazed. People are always being amazed at what God does. They were completely amazed. Put my glasses back on. I can't read. I'm 52. Sorry. (laughs) How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Sorry, but I would kind of like be saying these people are all Kentuckians. Sorry. They're from Galilee. That was kind of, it was a a knock. These guys, they're not smart people. They're not religious people. What's going on? And yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Amphilia, Egypt, and the areas of Liberon, Serene, and we're from Rome. I mean, list all these countries. And we hear these people speaking in our language about the wonderful things God has done. And then these Galileans hadn't been to language school. They stood there amazed, there's our favorite word again, and perplexed. I love when those two words go together, amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they ask each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk, that's all. And then I'll read part of Peter's sermon. Then Peter steps forth with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. 
9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. It's kind of like, they may be drunk later in the day, but not now. But nine, it's, of course they're not drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, Old Testament prophet. And then he's quoting Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Prophesy meaning speaking what God's telling them to say, speaking words from God that weren't their own necessarily. So it's a supernatural reality, not goofy or overly weird in a weird kind of goofy way, but it was supernatural. And I will cause, I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great, this great and glorious day of the Lord. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on and he goes on and then I'll pick up partway through his sermon. So he's speaking to all these people who are just kind of, they're amazed. They're what's going on? There's this commotion and it's not just commotion. It's something supernatural is happening and they knew it. They just didn't know how to interpret it. Peter's giving them help. Peter says, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now let me just comment about some of the interviews we've been doing. I didn't necessarily have any agenda I didn't have any preconceived conclusions in my mind before I met these people, talked to them at Panera, or interviewed them. But I think what was clear to me after I did all the interviews, and especially after one in particular, the Christian religion is a supernatural religion in the sense that we believe something outside of us has to come inside of us to be changed, to become the kind of abnormally loving, joyful, and courageous people that we all long to be. The other religions, as I understood them, as I talked to them, is more of a sense of you have it in you, you just need to nurture what's already inside of you. You need to work harder at it. You need to think more about it, meditate more about it, do more good things. So if you have it in you to do and be the kind of person God says you can be, they're saying, yes, we think you can. And one of, the, one of the people I talked to at Panera, remember, he even said, really, we don't even know at the end which of us are going to get into heaven anyway. Because he said, we don't know if we've done enough. But the Christian religion says, you were created in great dignity in the image of God, but there's a brokenness about you because of sin in the world. So you absolutely, desperately, completely need something outside of you to come back inside of you and to heal what was broken inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity is no different than Islam, Hinduism, or any other world religion. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity is no different because the Holy Spirit is the supernatural representation of the Spirit of Jesus in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, we're no different than any other world religion. And, and the prospects of change are simply on your shoulders. Work harder. Think more deeply, meditate a few more hours each day, and maybe you'll get there. As opposed to the message of Christianity is, no, you need to receive something outside of you. 
you need a power source outside of you, which implies that something in you is broken, not, not defective. I mean, I, I, sometimes people will say, well, I don't like Christianity because it says you, that you're dirt. It's like, no, Christianity says we're created in the image of God. Incredible dignity. We're not created as dirty, broken sinners. We're created in the image of God. The, the, the reality of sin causes us to be broken. But the image from the very beginning was great dignity. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we come back to dignity. Created in dignity, fallen into misery, brought back to dignity by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian message. We, and we need the Holy Spirit for that. We can't deny the reality of the misery of this human condition. We can't deny sin. I mean, you, you can try all kinds of academic, intellectual arguments, but it's just gymnastics because you just look at the world and read the newspaper and watch the news or even look at the kind of arguments you have in your own house. You realize selfishness is kind of 100% in human nature. So there's something quite unique about Jesus. This story was not just about how God wanted to save that part of the world. It was how God sent his son Jesus through him, the Holy Spirit, then it becomes available to every single person everywhere. And then Peter says this, this kind of ties in the repent and receive word together. So these people say, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the apostles, what do we do? What do we do? And Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins. And again, change the way you're thinking, not just stop doing bad things. Change the way that you think life you've always wanted is going to happen. Change that. Because you've, you've thought about, you're trying to make it happen in your own understanding. Change the way, stop, yeah, definitely stop certain behaviors, but change the way you're thinking. Repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to show you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Then you'll receive. Identify and destroy the, the way, the patterns of thinking that you think are going to take you to life you've always wanted. Identify that, put it to death, and then receive in the place that that was taking, receive the power from the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, this promises to you, to your children, and even to the Gentiles. So what he's saying is this is not a promise for the Jewish people of this time of history in that part of the world. It will go around the world. This is Jesus who's true for everybody in the world. There is no other way through which we can be saved except through Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We did this a few years ago, but I want to encourage you again this week. We'll just call it Pentecost week. If you're, if you're in the habit of praying or not, I'm going to give you a one-line prayer to pray as many times as it comes to mind this week, and that's simply, uh, Jesus, pour out your spirit. Maybe your prayer is, Jesus, pour out your spirit on me. Or my, I might pray, Jesus, pour out your spirit on Kathy. Pour out your spirit on Gretchen. Pour out your spirit on Alan Meyer, even though he hurts my teeth. Pour, I mean, you walk by somebody in your office that you really can't stand. Let's say his name's Joe. Maybe under your breath, Jesus, pour out your spirit on Joe. You think of an in-law or someone that you have a hard time getting along with. You go through the grocery store at Kroger. Maybe under your breath you pray for the cashier. Jesus, pour out your spirit on her. I don't know her story. But you said, Jesus, that you would do it. 
So I'm going to ask you to do it. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew, ask and you will receive. So that prayer takes what? Three seconds? Jesus, pour out your spirit. So make that a prayer this week um, for you. Um, as the as scripture says, for you, for your children, and even to the Gentiles. Gentiles mean even the people you don't like. All right? Even the people who have wounded you, even the people that you don't think you could forgive, even the people that irritate you, even the people you don't even think about, but when you run across them at grocery stores or whatever, Jesus, pour out your spirit. So we finish every Sunday at Exodus with uh, communion. And uh, we do this, again, to remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. He said, remember me. And again, I've said this before. I, I will repeat it often. He's not saying, remember how much I was tortured and hurt and wounded, and it was all your fault. So remember that. Remember how bad you are. That's not what he's saying to remember. What he's saying is, yes, remember the promises I made to you. And remember what I went through was a stamp of exclamation point on those promises. One of the promises being, ask and you will receive. It's a promise of Jesus. You receive the kingdom like a child, you will enter the kingdom. You will be the kind of person. It's a promise of Jesus. So when he gives the, the bread and the cup to the disciples, which he gives then to us, he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this to remember me. He's saying, this is the way, and I think in the book of Hebrews, which is the Bible study they're doing, the women are starting tomorrow night, talks about the new and living way. There's a new and living way through which we have access to the Holy Spirit. So when you take the bread and the cup in your body this morning, what you're, what you're saying is you are, you are affirming and agreeing with the promise of Jesus when he said, you ask, I'll give. You ask, pour out your spirit, I'll give. You're affirming that belief. So here's how we do it at Exodus. Um, we'll sing, I think we have uh, maybe one more song, I think. And then once we start singing, there'll be people come up that will have the cup, um, one at each, uh, one in the center in each aisles. And we don't dispense my rose, you just come on up. And we will uh, offer you the cup. Actually, I'm sorry, we offer the bread first, tear off a piece, and then we offer you the cup. And we just dip it in, how we do it here. Most people eat it right away. Some people take it back to their seat. Up to you what you want to do. Um, a, a different thing this morning I want to do, and I didn't let these guys know that, but I'll let them now. Um, so I know we have servers, but after you get done taking, I'd like for, uh, I know Jason's here. Is Brian Arnold here? Okay, Jason. Is Kristen here? Kristen, you could be part. And I, I know Paul and Paul have both been elders at Exodus. I want to have at least one elder or elder couple, after they take, I want you to simply lay your hand on the person and out loud just say, Jesus, pour out your spirit on that person. We'll figure it out how it goes. So, so Kathy and I might be on one side and Jason or Kristen or, and then if Paul and Paul, Donna, Kathy, if you guys want to, just after they take, before you sit down, stop and let them put their sh hand on your shoulder and pray for Jesus to pour out his spirit on you. All right. We'll figure out how to make, we'll figure out the logistics. I mean, God knows our heart on that. All right. Let's pray, and then we'll take um, Jesus.